0: Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? I got a a feeling about this 11 a.m., Josh. I think they had a little extra sleep and a little more coffee. You guys... You guys were worshiping Jesus a little loud. That was awesome. Uh, Well, my name is Keith, and I'm grateful that you're here today. If we haven't met, um, welcome. Uh, It's a privilege to serve on the Dream Team here. And maybe today is one of your first times or your first time with us, and we want to say welcome home especially to you. You'll notice in the chair in front of you, there's a little QR code. It says, first time here. Would absolutely love it if you take out your phone, scan that so we can connect with you this week. Get you a card. says thanks for being our guest. And uh, before you head out that door, I mean, it's an Amazon rainforest out there. Okay, so hot. Uh, Hang out in here a little bit and get get a gift uh, if it's your first time here at our Welcome Home area. Uh, Today we're continuing our Summer Stories series. So all throughout the summer here at Blaze for these first six weeks, we've been looking at the stories that Jesus told. They're called parables. how many know what we've been defining a parable as? It's an earthly story with what? A heavenly meaning. Meaning really the parables that Jesus tells teach us about who God is, about his kingdom, and about how we live a part of his kingdom. And today we're going to read another parable in just a few moments. We'll be in Luke chapter 18. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, you can get a head start. But before we get to Luke 18, uh, I want to, as a group this morning, Memorize a Bible verse. Is that all right? We're, you're going to leave here knowing a Bible verse. If you've never memorized one yet, we're going to start ground level for you. Two words. You, you can do—say, I can do this. You, it's two words. You and I can learn this one, okay? First Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. Right. Let's try it together. Ready? Here we go. Pray continually. Say it again. It's going to get in our heads. Ready? Pray continually. One more time. Repetition helps memorization. All right? Here we go. Pray continually. Okay. All right. You just memorized the Bible verse, everybody. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So now let's talk about it for 30 minutes. <laughs> two words, super challenging. I mean, maybe as we say that together, there's something that wells up in us. I'm going to suggest there's two thoughts that might rise up in us at the same time. The first thought might be a little negative, might be, okay. Sounds great. Pray continually. Or, or another translation says, pray without ceasing or always pray. Um, can't do that. <laughs> I mean, five minutes at best. By one minute, I'm already thinking about what's for lunch. I'm try- doing my best. So pray continually. It almost sounds like an impossible challenge, and yet it's Scripture. This is, this is a command of God for us. Pray continually. So while that thought rises up, I can't, maybe... There's also a thought of, but I'd like to. Let me, let me ask you this question, right? What would your life look like if you obeyed this command? If you prayed continually? I'm going to give you a one-word answer to that question. What would your life look like? Here it is, better. You know that's true. It would look better. Imagine if tomorrow you get out on the road and the first thing you do is you just you're in a place of prayer. A place of just, God, I thank you for this car. I thank you for this traffic. I thank you for these potholes, Jesus. These are traps of the enemy, and no snare of the fowler will get my wheel. I mean, you just start declaring Psalm 91 over it, right? It's just like you get to work, and there's a project you didn't anticipate or a coworker that's out, and now your day looks different. You say, well, but I'm, I'm in a place where I pray continually. Pray first is something we've been saying here for, for years. Just, just pray first. In a couple weeks, two weeks, we'll be in 21 days of prayer, and we'll have our Pray First bracelets, again, available for you to grab and to wear. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. We've discovered some values that people who are in the kingdom of God embrace and live out. We've discovered generosity. Last week, Josh taught us about humility. And today, I want us to learn the value of perseverance. Strictly, perseverance in prayer. The word perseverance, I looked it up, and the definition is so weighty. I I just, I love it. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay. That's perseverance. You know, you're looking at a Jim Dandy, and you're kind of full. Anybody? And you're like, how am I going to finish all the ice cream and all the bananas? But you're going to persevere. You're going to find a second stomach. You're not, despite the difficulty. All right, let's, let's make it a little bigger than that perseverance despite the difficulty despite the delay and in prayer how do we go on praying when it feels as though god is absent or there's no purpose to my prayers or my prayers aren't aren't doing anything so how do we persevere? Well, to discover that, we are going to look at the words of Jesus. So as we said, we're in summer stories, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And today, we're going to pray together the prayer we've prayed the past three weeks before we read the words of Jesus. Because if we, if we don't kind of just silence ourselves and pray this prayer, we may hear the story, but we may miss the meaning. So Jesus gave us this prayer to pray. Give me ears to hear. Would you pray that simple prayer with me this morning? Jesus, give me ears to hear. And with that, let's turn to Scripture, Luke chapter 18. Before we get the parable, we get the reason for the parable. And here it is, Luke 18, 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, a story, to show them. Why the parable, Jesus? Well, here's why. To show them that they should, say it with me, always pray and not give up. So, Jesus is going to give us, give his disciples a parable, and the purpose of the parable is this always pray, not give up. What's our memory verse for the day? Do you remember it? Pray continually, persevere in prayer. Jesus is giving his disciples a story to encourage them to always pray and never give up. Now, this week, as I was in this text and, and just reading and listening and preparing and praying, I saw that the last phrase there, not give up, in the Greek literally means I am faint, I am weary. In fact, some translations translate that last line to say, not lose heart. And as I was just sitting before the Lord in prayer and study and writing, my heart, I believe it was the work of the Holy Spirit, just felt so connected to the prayers of many in Blaze Church, That I'm aware of. Many of you that I know to lose heart would be the easier option. There are parents here who have prayed for salvation for their children for decades. There are some who have prayed for healing. I trust the Lord to say, heal this body for years, and it's so easy to lose heart. Maybe your prayer has been for provision or or for a change in, in your neighborhood. Uh, just praying the hardest prayer, I think. Father, your will, not my will, be done. And it feels like I just want to lose heart. And I want you to know as your pastor that as I prayed and I got to this moment, verse 1, I stopped and I prayed with you. And, and some of you by name that I know, praying for your children, praying for healing, praying for a change in the culture. And I thought of a prayer that David prayed in the Psalms uh, that maybe you've prayed before. Maybe your words weren't like his, but you could probably identify with this prayer. You can pray something like this. Look, this is scripture, Psalm 13, one. How long, Lord? Anyone ever pray that before? How, How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That's like an honest, real prayer to the Lord. And that's, that's scripture. Like, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Where's your face? Maybe for some of you, that looks like the last prayer you prayed before you lost heart and stopped praying about what you were praying about. Like, well, there's not going to be a change. They're never going to get saved. Never going to get healed. Marriage is never going to shift. Things are going to always be the same where I am. And just kind of God I just, I feel like you've forgotten me and I'm done. David prayed that prayer and we'll come back to it at the end of our time together. But let's not forget the reason for the parable. Luke 18, one, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should, say it again with me, always pray and not give up. So as we look at the parable, as we we read now the words of Jesus, remember the reason. If you're on the cusp of losing heart, if you're ready to give up, lean into this parable. Here's what he says. And I'm going to read verse 2 through 8 together and then we're going to come back through it and discover some truths. He said, this is Jesus, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Pause for a second. I love this verse. And whatever your image is of the widow, please do not think of her as a frail old lady, because clearly the judge is terrified of her. She's been hitting the weights. Like, He's like, if I don't—she's going to beat me up. She, she's going to take me out. And we see that she gets justice. We'll come back to it. Just keep that image there of that, that jacked widow. And the Lord said—now Jesus backs out of the parable and begins just speaking, remember, to his disciples. Listen to what the unjust judge says. We just heard his words. Verse 7, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Beautiful passage of scripture. So much. We could spend so much time just here in the in the parable, in the words of Jesus that follow. What I wanna do is, I wanna frame this. Remember, Jesus gave us the why already to always pray and not give up. I I want us to discover four truths about God in this passage that we might gospel our own hearts with. That means preach the good news to our own hearts when we want to give up. There's four things about God here. We're going to call them the four G's. Everyone say the four G's. There's the four G's about God in this parable that we need to preach to ourselves daily and especially when we're ready to lose heart. To give up. So, uh, we'll start with the first one. Before we do, uh, a couple weeks ago, my family and I went and visited my wife's grandmother. Uh, kids and, and Amy went. She's 93 years old, everybody. In fact, we have a picture of her uh, with, with my kids. And you can say, ah, there. It's appropriate. Yeah, it's uh, uh. Um, And so, we went to grandma's house, and I, I was so excited, because when we walked in, uh, Judge Judy was on the TV, everybody. Uh-huh. Middle of the day. <laughs> And grandma puts the TV at 100 out of 100 volume when you show up. Uh, So you're yelling like, grandma, we're here. Uh, But I was distracted because Judge Judy was there. And I haven't seen Judge Judy in so many years. I was excited to see. She's still doing her thing, still judging cases. Uh, And so I I remember Judge Judy from back uh, when I would watch Judge Judy. And listen, I don't care what you say. That woman is right always. She just, this is where it goes. Like she's a fair judge. So with that, In our parable, we have no Judge Judy, everybody. (laughs) Let's read what we had in verse 2 again. Jesus said this. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge. And look at the description he gives of this judge. Neither feared God nor cared what people thought. What a description for one who is to uphold the law and administer justice. Didn't fear God and didn't care about people. Now, remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning so we're discovering who god is and who the kingdom of what the kingdom of god is like and this first character in jesus story shows us god by means of contrast not comparison so let's talk about the unjust judge well there's a couple qualities the first is this this judge is selfish the reason we know that is because the judge doesn't fear god meaning the judge cares for himself. If the judge feared God, the judge would uphold the law. Now, what is the law? Jesus summarized it best when he said, the whole law hangs on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Jewish people called it the Shema. So if he doesn't fear God, he doesn't care about loving others. We see that in the next line. He doesn't care what people think. Imagine going to a judge and presenting your case, and the judge is like, I literally don't care what you think. I don't care about what you have to say or your plea or the evidence. Unkind, unjust. And again, Jesus' original audience, because we need to first ask, who are the original listeners? And we read it was his disciples in a first-century Jewish culture. Well, God had given them the law. It's the first five books of the Bible today called the Torah, And in it, here's what God said about judges. Deuteronomy 16, 18. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people, what's the word? Fairly. Fairly. So when Jesus introduces the unjust judge in his parable, his Jewish audience knows he's breaking the law. He doesn't fear God. He's not judging fairly. The judge was no Judge Judy and certainly was not like the God that we have today. So what did Jesus say, though, in verse 6 and 7? Listen to what the unjust judge says and say these words with me. Will not God. There's a contrast. The unjust judge eventually gave the persistent widow justice. Jesus goes, if that jacked up guy did it, if that... Non God fearing man gave justice, will not God? And here's where we learn the first truth about God God's nothing like the unjust judge, but rather God is good. God is good. Now, if I said that phrase, or if I heard that phrase in the church I grew up in in the 90s, there it is, brother. Thank you for preaching. I was going to ask, who knows what you're supposed to—I'll try it again. So God is good? All the time. See, you've been to 90s church. Don't act like you haven't been there. And all the time? There it is. Awesome. Now I feel like I'm at home. I mean, just get me some veggie tails and I'm good to go. Right? God is good. He's, he's good all the time. What does that phrase actually mean, though? Because we, it could be lost on us. Like, oh, yeah, that, that's great. And he's good. Like, no, what that means is that there's no injustice in our God. There's no error in him. As Josh preached last week, he is fair. He's, he actually determines fair. He sets the scales. He's good. He will satisfy us. The justice that you're seeking in the prayers that you're praying, when your heart wants to give up, when you want to say, No, God won't do this. When you remind yourself of He's but He's good. So, this is this is hard. Whatever He does, whatever the outcome. Whatever he decides, we can trust it's good. It may not feel good to us, and see last week's sermon for that tension. It may not feel fair in life with the hand we've been dealt, but we remind our hearts when we want to give up God's good, he, he's good. So if you're reading in in your scripture, if you have the Bible with you, you might see a little heading above it that calls this parable the persistent widow. That's what it's been called, the parable of the persistent widow. So let me share with you just two things that are important to know about widows in the first century. Uh, The first thing is that because men controlled the judicial setting, the courtroom, the advocacy, widows were easily exploited in this culture. And God's law actually commanded that widows be defended. Something beautiful about the law God gave the people of Israel, that the widow and the orphan were to be cared for. So, like, this widow knows that someone should come to her defense, and yet, here, the one who should uphold her defense the most is being unjust. There's something else to know about this culture. Uh, Usually, only men pleaded cases in court. But when a woman did speak, men would consider them courageous to approach the bench, to come and speak. Why? Because it wasn't normal. So we have the persistent widow. Verse 3 says, and there was a widow in that town who what? What does she describe this doing? She kept coming. Not once. She kept coming. With her plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Here's what I want us to see from this. She kept coming when she didn't have to. She could have gave up. She could have been overcome. She could have been overcome by her fear of the judge. Clearly, he's wicked. He's unjust. He won't grant her justice on the first ask. The second, she keeps coming. She could have been overcome by her fear of the crowds. To have to keep coming before and keep taking that step of bravery. To step out and be courageous. She could have been overcome by whatever her plea was to say, you know what, I'm just never going to get justice. This situation is too big for me to see the solution on. Yet, she was not overcome by any of that. What do we discover about God from how this widow navigates her consistency, her perseverance? Well, here's the truth we need to be reminded of in the moment where we want to be overcome by fear, Fear that maybe God can't handle my situation. God's not listening. Psalm 13, 1, Where are you, Lord? You've forgotten about me. In that moment, we need to remember this truth about God. God is glorious. He's glorious. Now, we need to understand that word glorious. What does that mean? The word glory literally means weighty. So when something is glorious to you, it has a certain amount of weight in your life. You look at it through a certain lens because you've attributed worth to it, right? Like for some of you, you have hobbies and interests that are more glorious to you than they are to me because they have no weight in my life. So th- there's nothing about them that appeals to me. I mean, if it's not ice cream, I don't care. Uh, but whatever it is that, that you have that there's weight here. I care about it. It's glorious. Your children are that way. There are family members that are that way to you. There's something that you've ascribed weight to. It has a certain level of glory. Now, to say God is glorious would mean that if you were to put God, somehow if you could visually put him next to the prayer request, the situation, the person, for the widow, the unjust judge, the plea for justice, if you could put God next to that, the question comes, who or what is more glorious to you? who has more weight in your life? Are you shrinking back in fear and ready to lose heart because you're allowing the situation or the person or the circumstances to overshadow the glory of the Lord? Or do we say, no, heart, I will keep coming back to the Lord because he's way more weighty than the situation I'm praying about, than the person who's telling me no or yes, whatever it looks like in your life. Remember the framework. He's given us the parable to teach us to always pray and not give up. And it is the glory of God that compels us like the persistent widow to keep coming back, to keep coming back. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. Just kind of back out because there might be this question that rises up in us. I mean, we're kind of in a safe space. You know, our, our prayer requests, we brought them with us. The situations we're facing, they're in this room, but also it, it's kind of like here in this environment. It's like, yeah, I, I could take on the world. I could do this. This is great. Music and lights and, and a message and my, my family's around me and the church. But is this really possible to not give up, to not lose heart? I mean, what Jesus is saying here, to always pray and not give up, is that really possible? Here's the answer. It is, but not for everyone. And that messes with us. And I'm going to show you, it's in the text, who this is for. In fact, we've read it twice already. Jesus said he spoke this parable to a certain group of people. And in verse 7, he affirms who he's speaking to. Here's what he says. Will not God bring about justice for, and what does the text say there? His chosen ones cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? So, this messes with us. This phrase, his chosen ones. Other translations might say the elect. So what do we do with that? Well, let's go back to where we started. Do you remember who Jesus was giving this parable to? His disciples. It says, then he spoke to his disciples to teach them that they should always pray and not give up. The framework for Jesus' parable, this specific parable, is those who are following Christ. Disciples. And and there are other parables that we've already discussed and will discuss in the weeks to come where it doesn't say that. It says he spoke to the crowds. Parable of the sower is a great one. It says he spoke to the crowds. But this parable, this teaching about always praying and not giving up, he specifically says, I'm speaking to my disciples, and he affirms in there This phrase, the chosen ones, his chosen ones. So first, a disciple is one who has forsaken themselves and is following Christ. That's a disciple of Christ. In one word, a disciple is surrendered. There has been repentance, a turning away from selfishness and sin and a turning towards the Lord. You are now Lord of my life, means you call all the shots from my schedule to my money to my decisions, all of it. I'm in your footsteps. You determine. my. I love this description of a Christian. It's one whose, per, whose identity, personhood, is formed around the person and work of Christ. Everything about you formed around him. Well, what about this? His chosen ones. And that phrase can be used, maybe even misused in different circles and, Maybe you come from a church background. Some of you, you already showed me you were from 90s church. So you've been serving the Lord for 30 years. Uh, You've you've been, maybe there's been circles where you've heard, well, this phrase, I'm chosen, I'm elect. And and maybe for some it would say, well, that phrase fuels pride in me. I mean, after all, if I'm chosen, that's awesome. But also despair in others. They would say, but why not me? What about me? And I just want to offer to you this morning as a 33-year-old that I by no means have this figured out nor will I say that I'm wiser than the church fathers or the reformers. I want to show you what scripture says in light of this truth that we need to remember. God is gracious. So in in light of chosenness and discipleship, what we first need as our foundation is this truth. The Lord himself is the gracious one. If you are to say this morning that you are saved, that you are made new, that you are a disciple of Christ, that you are chosen by God, remember the foundation of your choosing, it is God's grace. He initiated, you responded. He started it. You didn't wake up one day and say, "You know what? I need I need the Lord." No, he came first. He moved on your heart. He the gospel was presented. So then how do we frame this about being chosen and being a disciple of Christ? Who then? After all, a question. It's possible, but who then? Uh, How many here by show of hands, play with me please, uh, have memorized Romans 3, 23 in their life? I'll give you a hint. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. All right. Awesome. Pat yourself in the back. You know two Bible verses, all right? The rest of us, pray continually. Let's say it. Pray continually. You've got one. That's awesome. So I was talking to Josh about this, and we kind of decided together— we grew up, we've known each other since we were young, went to Christian school our whole lives together— that first grade was when we learned Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Last week I was reading through Romans, which is in the New Testament, sixth book there. And I got to Romans 3, and I was so angry. I was so angry. Here's why. Here's why. I was taught to memorize Romans 3.23, but nobody ever told us to memorize verse 24 or verse 22. And and here's the problem with that. Verse 23 is in the middle of a sentence that starts in 22 and ends in 24. Why did you choose the middle and not help me with the rest of the sentence? So to be better than my first grade upbringing, everybody, we are now going to read Romans 3.22 to 24 together and i want you to see remember what's our question here well then who where does this god is gracious come from just let scripture speak to us for a moment about this so here's what it says romans 3:22 says the righteousness is given through faith in jesus christ to all who believe and then here's where the sentence starts there is no difference between jew and gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, Paul still moved by the Holy Spirit, still writing what the Spirit's moving. Here's what he says, for and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I mean, that is the gospel in a sentence. I mean, I, I love the, the reductions that we've created up, come up with as, uh, as people of the gospel. John Piper said the gospel in two words is you're wrong and you're loved. Uh, Tim Keller says that you're way more loved than you could hope for and way more sinful than you could dare believe about yourself. But even here in scripture, Paul does a great job, moved by the Spirit. Hey, all have sinned and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Unless we forget verse 22, it is through faith. So so what does that mean? If there's a stirring in your heart this morning to say, I want to be a disciple, I long as I'm hearing the gospel to follow Christ, respond to that stirring through faith in Jesus Christ. Because all are justified by his what? Grace. Not by your works. Not by your determination. Not by anything you and I can do. It is God is gracious. So how does that help us in prayer? Well, prayer itself is God's grace. Do you ever think of that? That that you can call on a holy God in prayer. I mean, I watched you as you came in. I was out there spinning the sign. Nobody brought a burnt offering or a goat with them today in order to make it so they could connect with a holy God. It's only God's grace. It's through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. What if, as we approach the Lord in prayer— And in praying continually, our first humbling recognition is, God, I can only pray because of your grace. I can only call you Father and call on your holy name because you've been gracious to me. How does that change our prayer? How does that change our attitude in prayer? We need to answer this question, what is prayer? And the best definition I came across years ago was from Dr. Timothy Keller in his book called Prayer. And he writes this, we can define prayer as a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. Three important words. It's personal. Prayer is personal. Prayer is not just vain, repetitious, mundane words checking off a to-do on a Christian duties list for the day. No, it's personal. There's ownership. It's communicative. Meaning, our speaking to and our listening. Our silence, our stillness. It's prayer and response. Again, praying is a response to the knowledge of God. God's the initiator. That's why we we believe here the first step on a spiritual journey is to know the Lord, to know God. If there is this tension in you that says today, but I don't know that I could pray continually. I'm not sure that I could remind myself and preach the gospel of God and his his greatness and his goodness, his gracious, and all of this. The question then is, do you know the Lord? Do you know him? Are you his disciple, his chosen one? And if the answer is yes, then yes, you can pray continually through the power of the Holy Spirit, through him. We respond. Uh, Let's look at the last of the four G's and we discover it in the final verse Jesus gives us. He says in verse 8, I tell you, he, now that he there is God, not the unjust judge, he will see that they get justice, that they is the disciples of Christ, and quickly, I think that's a funny word though. Quickly. Mm -hmm. I think Abraham would think that's a funny word. (laughs) You're going to be a dad. All right. 25 years later. Did you forget? <laughs> I'm 100 now. But that's God's framework. God, God sets time up quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He will see. Oftentimes, I've found that when I want to lose heart in praying a prayer that I've prayed for years, it's because of this. I've shifted the control off of God and onto someone or something else. He will see can get turned into me will see. (laughs) I'll make sure justice comes. I'll make sure the solution is found. I'll make sure the answer comes the way it should come, according to the man in the mirror. Or I put the control on the situation. Well, it's just too great. Clearly, God, this one is just out of your hands. You can't do this one. Or or I I put it on another person. I put it on a job or some other idol that we create for ourselves. Yet Jesus says, "You can rest assured that He will see that they get justice." And notice He attaches it to the return of Christ. How many believe that Christ will return? I mean, He He will return. And on that day, in fact, next week, Joe Coyote is going to preach about it. That day of judgment. When he returns and sets all the wrong things right and makes all the sad things come untrue, I mean, justice is coming. He will He will see. So here's the truth we need to remind our hearts of. God is great. Meaning his power, his immensity. He is in fact in charge of everything. And I, I show that I forget that truth oftentimes in the prayers I pray. Sometimes I pray safe prayers, I'll call them. Now, no one here does this but me, okay? So I'm only talking about me for a second. Sometimes I pray a safe prayer. A safe prayer is like this. Like, I'm sitting down, nice bowl of Lucky Charms. Love it. Father, bless this food. Amen. Really? That's all, that's all I've got for the creator of the universe? Just bless this sugary corn cereal for me? Maybe take a few calories out of it if you really love me? Or, or this one. God, would you help me find a parking spot today? You are provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. I know. You can get me a front spot, Lord. You are good. Or I'll pray, God, as I go to sleep, God, let me have good dreams. Amen. I mean, nothing wrong with these prayers. Again, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Okay, this is my prayers. Those are safe prayers. Those are like, like he's, already, he's got that. He's got your lucky charms and your dreams. Don't worry. And, and you'll, you'll park where you park. Just don't worry about that. I want to learn to pray what we're going to call next month, dangerous prayers. You want to know a dangerous prayer? I'll give, I'll give you one, two words. Break me. We're going to learn what that prayer means next month. You start praying, Lord, break me? Be careful. He'll break you. He'll break that stuff that needs to be broken in you. Or, or this one, we're going to learn about this one. Lord, send me. Just not to, and then we add to it. So next month, because I need this, I pray safe prayers. Uh, we're going to spend three weeks in a series by Pastor Craig Rochelle of Life Church called "Dangerous Prayers." And we're going to learn how to pray so those prayers: break me, send me, use me. Like, like we're going to we're going to learn that. But for today, as we're two weeks away from 21 days of prayer, when your heart wants to give up, when you want to grow weary and grow faint, here's the four G's: God is good. God is glorious, God is gracious, and God is great. I encourage you, write those down. Remember those four as you're praying, as you're seeking the Lord. Why? Because as his disciple, you are told, always pray and not give up. I'm going to invite the team to join me and ask that everyone would stand as we get ready to respond in song this morning. You know, Jesus said in that last verse, not only about the justice that comes quickly, but he asked a question that I believe is good reflection for us today. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Remember, we're talking about perseverance. We're talking about that determination despite the difficulty or the delay. When Jesus returns, will he find those he's called his own faithful? Maybe today your heart is on that cusp of losing faith, of giving up faith. Maybe for you today, you've never put your faith in Jesus. Your faith is in yourself or in your job, or or in something else that you've created that you say, this provides my comfort, my security, my approval. Well, you are invited, as Roman says, to put your faith in him, to respond through faith. I asked the team if we could um, sing a song we've never sung together as a church, but one that I've sang many times in my own home called Goodness of God. And, And it's about God's goodness, about how he never gives up. He never stops being good. Even this morning as I was driving here, I was I was just reminded. You guys know that this itself, this environment is his goodness to us. If you don't know the story, a year ago we didn't know where we were going. We just knew that the building no longer sufficed for the ministry God has called us to do on Sundays. So where you stand right now is his goodness. Let's make it personal. The life that you have, what you're facing, even the difficulty, even the challenges, the wayward children, the health that's not where it is, the, the question marks surrounding career and finance and provision. Even in those moments, James writes, we consider it pure joy when we face those trials and tribulations because God's goodness does not stop in those seasons. He continues to be so good to us so I asked the team if we could sing this and I also made another request of them I said listen as an act of worship I would love to play this song with you guys and they said as long as you don't sing Pastor Keith you can play I said wow you're too kind Uh, it's actually prep because I was asked to lead kids camp worship this week so I'll be uh, singing with children over the next five days but I want to offer as an act of worship just this song to the Lord and I want you to as well so as we begin to sing maybe you want to sit back down Maybe you want to write what the Spirit might be saying to your heart during this song. Maybe you want to raise your hands. Maybe you want to just have them here as a sign of surrender. You may want to kneel where you are or in this front space. I just want all of us to have that that heart of, God, you've been so good, and may I pray continually. May I not give up because of your grace. So I asked Josh if he would lead us in a closing reflective prayer and then uh, we will sing out this song together. So let's bow our heads as Josh leads us in prayer.